0: Is the Bear Cast presented by Bird Colchin Ford?
1: Bird Colchin Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The Bearcast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhaver.
0: And good afternoon. Welcome into another edition of the Bearcast here on Sikkim365.com, 365 Sports the YouTube channel as well, uh, Baylor Bears on Sikkim 365. If you haven't already, take a brief moment and go ahead and hit that subscribe button, especially if you're a Baylor fan out there. Why haven't you done that already? Uh, We've got content coming your way at all times and uh, from all different angles, and uh, we do appreciate your patronage and appreciate you listening. As always, I'm Craig Smoke, joined by Grayson grundhafer We're here with you Tuesdays at around noon. Each week, Garrett Ross behind the scenes producing Jack McKenzie Well, he's off to play pickup basketball, so he's not joining us. But uh, other than that, uh, we are full and uh, we are chock full of news as well. Uh, A lot of different things to get to as spring sports rolls along, Grayson. And uh, how are you doing after this past week?
2: I'm good. Yeah, I mean, another fun week, right? Just getting to sit back, watch some of these spring sports and... um... Getting to follow basketball, of course, is always nice. So, yeah, I mean, in general, another uh, a good week. Lots to talk about. I feel like we have a lot on the schedule this week, kind of per usual. But um, I feel like this week we kind of get to hit on multiple sports, which will be fun.
0: Yeah, uh, we'll start off with some hoops and then dive a little into football. Spring practices still a few weeks away, but there are some uh, movements going on in terms of position changes. That's just one of the many different things that uh, you take note of around this time of year, position changes, roster changes, staff changes. We've had the roster and staff changes a plenty over the last couple of months. That's finally starting to settle down a little bit. I mean, the peripheral staff still – having a little addition here and there like we saw last week with an assistant offensive line coach being added. But uh, the roster, uh, as of right now, settled transfer portals you know, shut for the time being. And uh, now uh, position changes is what we'll be able to uh, address. And there will be more of that, I'm sure, throughout the spring. But we'll get to that as well and uh, get to your mailbag to close things out as normal mailbag questions provided by Sikkim 365 premium members. So if you are not a premium member of Sikkim365.com but you're a Baylor fan, encourage you to sign up and then look out for that link each week. And you can, too, send in your questions for us to answer every single Tuesday. But uh, we'll start off with some basketball. I mean, there's a top-10 men's team playing just across the way, and they've got a new arena being built uh, just across the the way as well, just on the opposite side of I-35. Uh, the women's team has that new arena being built too, and they're coming off of a high uh, last night with a win that broke their losing streak. But, I mean, Scott Drew and the Baylor men are top-10. Uh, they're flirting with top-5, and uh, they are on you know, uh, a nice... Uh, run here as of late where they've had some adversity and some challenges. And obviously the biggest challenge has been just the fact that the competition of the Big 12 is so thick. And it's been, I mean, truly a night in, night out battle uh, to walk away with a win. But, man, they have been uh, on uh, a very up-and-down kind of roller coaster. Last week, uh, not the the most fun of weeks in the last two games, finally getting back to, or I say finally, but, but getting back to uh, – Win a couple of games after dropping the uh, Kansas and Kansas State contest and that little Sunflower State road trip that didn't go so well. So they had that happen, Grayson. Fall into the Kansas schools, uh, but then turn around and uh, and actually – Yeah, turn around and beat Texas on Saturday. That's a top 10 win for them. And then uh, last night, Oklahoma State in Stillwater, 74-68. So, been very, very busy. Um, When we last met with uh, everybody here on the YouTube channel, we had the K-State game to preview, and that obviously did not uh, go their way. But, uh, man, big bounce-back wins over Texas and Oklahoma State. And obviously... Uh, you've got the element of Keontae George was injured. Uh, Del Bonner has been a true, I mean, knight in shining armor or superhero, whatever you want to refer to him as. He's been massive these past couple of games in particular. Your thoughts on where the men sit now with just one regular season game remaining and a couple of fresh wins under their belt now at 22-8.
2: and eight. Very impressive week, and I I think that people kind of overlook the streak that Baylor is on because of those two losses that they had uh, in Kansas, but they're 12-3 and in their last 15 games. They have a matchup against Iowa State uh, in the Ferrell Center to close things out for the regular season coming up on Saturday, but this is still a really good team, and this is a team that still is showing flashes of a team that could make a run in March, a team that's still, I don't think, hitting on all cylinders even though they've played so well over these last 15 games. And, you know, that Texas game, they showed a lot of grit because they were down, I believe it was 18-4. to four. Um, They made a nice run to come back in that game and really took control of things um, as you kind of got into the second half. And you mentioned it, you know, Keontae George got hurt. Dale Bonner had to step in. Langston Love, of course, also had to step in to a larger role as well in that Texas game. Um, And they both played really well. You saw the defense play a whole lot better. They were a lot more focused um, in that game specifically. So I was impressed by that. That was a game that easily could have gone sideways after losing those two in Kansas. They rebounded. Even with the the early deficit they faced, they continued to fight. And, And I think that's huge for them because, honestly, When I've watched them play this year, when they've gotten into holes, they've really struggled to bounce out of those holes outside of uh, that Texas game and then the TCU game a little bit earlier. So it's nice to see them face that adversity and come out on top. And then the Oklahoma State game was just nuts. They played so well for the entire game. And then the final five minutes, they were up by like 19 points. And then all of a sudden, Oklahoma State cut it all the way to four. You're thinking, oh my goodness, You know, Baylor's missing layups. They're turning the ball over. Um, they had a charge foul on Jalen Bridges where it's just like, dude, just grab the ball and bring it out and then get fouled and shoot free throws. Um, they did everything wrong in the last five minutes, but at the end of the day, they came out on top. Dale Bonner made a few uh, key free throws uh, to close that game out, but you're exactly right. Dale Bonner had a very nice week this week, and there was an expectation coming into the year that he would play a pretty big role for them, and that just really never came to be. Um, But with an injury, he was able to step in and play hard. And I I think my main takeaway here is that, you know, in in certain matchups, I do think that he needs to be on the floor at times because of his defense. Now, I don't think he should be playing 20 minutes when Keontae comes back. I don't think he should be, you know, I don't think Keontae is going to the bench or anything like that, in my opinion. Um, but I do think Dale might have carved out a role and at least shown um, that he has more confidence than he had, I think, in the beginning of the season.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's been great to see him kind of, blossom here uh as, as when needed most, you know, uh, with Keontae going down and them obviously looking for him to fill some minutes and, and be impactful uh, in the time out on the court, whereas, you know, he's not uh somebody who's, you know, been relied upon heavily. Uh, and so to just be there for your teammates, you know, show that support on the bench and you know those are little things talked about by coaches at times, but they really ring true. I mean that's your culture piece, right? Is a guy could go over and not be playing as much as he would like and just be you know, just grumbling under his breath. or I'm ready to leave. Yeah, ready to leave, threatening to jump in the portal or, or whatever what have you. Or you can be a good teammate, and then when your number's called, deliver. And that's what he's been able to do in particular this past week, and that's been massive for them because that was a rough trip to the state of Kansas. I mean, mm-hmm. the K-State loss was just a little bit unexpected because you felt like they were ripe for the, the taking because they had beat you the first time around. Sir, sure, it was on their home court, but, you know, K State hadn't been playing super well. Um, and then now they've turned it back on. He's <laughs> just like, you hit him right at that time where they flipped that switch back. Uh, and they were able to, to beat you again for the sweep. And then, you know, obviously Kansas was a, a painful loss just because it dampened your, your championship hopes as far as the regular season goes and is a second loss and just tough. It was a tough pill to swallow. The way
2: the game went. Too. The way
0: the game yeah. went, you know, where you, you, know, you get beat the way that you did. I mean, yeah, all that added up to just, you know, bad taste in your mouth. And so, you know, you're wondering how this team will respond and I just think they keep showing how resilient they are. And um, I think it also shows just how incredibly tough this big 12 schedule is where it's, it's amazing that, you know, you use the term night in and night out, but I don't know if that's even strong enough that to, to say that because it's, it's just a gauntlet uh, that you have to roll through. So, yeah, that was really key for them to to bounce back last night, I feel like. And now you look up and there's just one game remaining. Um in the standings right now, Kansas is on a hot streak including having beaten you recently, but six straight for the Jayhawks now at this point. Uh Texas is one game back in the standings at 11 and 5, and then there's Baylor at 11 and 6. Half game up on K-State because they played one more game at this point. But in theory, they could finish uh, in third place, uh, you know, uh, as I guess their highest mark. Uh,
2: Texas still with two games to play. So I guess technically Baylor could jump them. And Baylor could technically get a share of the title, technically. How? So Kansas still has two games left. Okay, Yeah, they've got two. Okay, So they still have – they have Tech in Lawrence, which I think we can all – well, Jack and I Jack thinks that tech is gonna beat Kansas uh this week. I don't see that happening playing on senior better, but nine. okay, yeah, me neither. In Allen Fieldhouse with a share of the Big Twelve title on the line. Yeah, that's gonna be eight versus five for sure. And so <laughs> I think that Kansas will probably win that game, but then the last game of the regular season they play at Texas. Um so right. and Texas on the flip side plays at TCU which they could easily lose that game. I think Texas could easily lose both games. Um, but, yeah, Baylor's still stuff to play for here as we get as they get ready for that Iowa State game. And then, of course, Kansas State actually has the tiebreak against Baylor as well. Um, and they're a half game behind because they've played one less so far.
0: Yeah, I mentioned that with K-State. So, I mean, all they have to do is just, you know, take care of their business and they'll finish ahead of Baylor because of that tiebreaker. But, yeah, I was – Baylor's a, a step ahead because they played on Big Monday. So right. they're a day early. But yeah, most other teams do have two games remaining. So yeah, Baylor with the one game against the Iowa State upcoming. So yeah, in theory, there's a shot. I just haven't really seriously considered that because Kansas has been so hot and Texas just kind of remained above them. But yeah, in theory, there is a, um, I guess numerically, there is a shot. But not the strongest of shots
2: but hey take care of your business and see what happens yeah i kind of think this is going to be a situation where kansas beats tech and then loses to texas and austin but texas loses to tcu and then beats kansas in the last game so something along those lines they you know i think kansas will finish 13 and 5 they'll win the conference and then baylor i actually think baylor has a great shot at getting the the 2 or 3 seed because i do think texas will lose one more and then case state they play oklahoma which Might not seem like a tough game, and it's at home. They should win that, but OU's still trying to fight for something here. Then their last game of the year, they go to West Virginia in a game that I think West Virginia needs to get into the tournament, and I think that's going to be a really tough one for K-State to win. So I think they're probably going to lose the game as well, and I'm expecting Baylor to to come through this weekend, but that's obviously a lot easier said than done. Sure. Um,
0: So that was big for them to get a win last night, at least give themselves an opportunity to see if chaos can unfold. Mm -hmm. But uh, for now, I have to sit back. Um, try to get healthy as you can, uh, with Keontae
2: George and, you know, just time for that stretch run now, Langston but in love as well. Cause yeah. he apparently scratched cornea. He didn't play at the end of that Oklahoma state game and you started to see the guards get tired. I think as yeah, very they were much turning so. the ball over. And so keep an eye on that as well. Cause if you're going into this last game and you just have Bonner, Cryer and Flagler, like you're asking a whole lot of them. If you don't have, you know, those other two big pieces.
0: Yeah, and that's been your strength, right, is your guard play. And all of a sudden you're down a couple guys and you thin out the ranks a little bit, and that can go from a strength to not necessarily a weakness, but, uh, you know, far less of a strength than it than it once was, a, a part of your team that's that's really been able to carry you and, and lead, your, lead the way for you at times. So, yeah, I mean, that was unfortunate with Keontae. I was just very thankful that it was not anything more serious. I think everybody was. You know, initially you're thinking with any type of, you know, injury where you're trying to get off the court as fast as you can and get to the back to get checked out. I mean, I understand big time NBA superstar prospect. So like anything with him, you're kind of like handle with care. Yeah. Um, but you know, especially when he is the the caliber of player that he is and you're all the way towards the end of the season and here comes Marsh, and all of a sudden he's, he's going down and being rushed to the back. It's just like, Oh my gosh, what a nightmare scenario. But they did leave, uh, everybody with the, you know, update, I guess it was pretty shortly thereafter, the following day, we got the, the update from the Twitter account, which I'm appreciative of. It was like, if you have that information, pass mm-hmm. it along, rather than have everybody speculate or right. have to go grab a source. But they let us know that Keontae George had been checked out and that it's a mild ankle sprain and that he was not going to play last night, so we knew that going in. But uh, now it's just day-to-day. So we'll see yeah. if he played against Iowa State. That would be sort of surprising, but good news if he doesn't play. I think everybody will be totally fine with that. Just get him ready for the postseason. But yeah. uh, where do you stand with that? Yeah,
2: I kind of think they're going to wait till the Big Twelve tournament to play him. Um, but the thing of it is, and, and this is where it's tough. Be, and also, I think the stats of Langston is going to be just as important because it's it's very much like you need one of those guys. Like it's it's very hard to win with just three guards in your rotation. Um, But yeah, I think Baylor needs to continue to have momentum here. And Baylor's also going to need to figure out what do you do with this, with Dale Bonner playing well and Keontae coming back? You know, how do those minutes kind of line up? How do you make sure you're maximizing both of them? Um, they have a lot to think about and I think you have this time, you have these couple games to sort it out before the tournament. So I think he will probably be back um, for the Big Twelve tournament. If not then, then maybe they just hold him out all the way till um, the um NCAA tournament, which wouldn't be shocking either, in my opinion. Just make sure he's one hundred percent healthy.
0: Yeah, I was just looking around to see if there's any kind of an update similar to George and nothing yet. So we will yeah. see on on Langston Love. But you're right. I mean, uh, want to be as healthy as you possibly can and can't afford to have both of those guys missing
2: any significant amount right. of time and one more thing to mention if Baylor does win out they're still playing for a one seed and Baylor's never won the big 12 tournament and so you would think that this would be a time where it's where you got to be thinking to yourself well if we're actually playing for something here where you can win out and actually get a one seed that's a that's a big deal and that might be something also uh, on their minds but I, I find that highly unlikely if you don't have love and George in your lineup
0: yeah that's maybe biting off a bit more than you can chew, but also they need some things to happen around them yeah. as well. So that's uh, that's not entirely in their control, but the good news is is they have set it up to where they're in a position that if things go kind of haywire and they also beat Iowa State, which is not a given by any means, but uh, if they can take care of that, then uh, we'll see where the chips fall and maybe they, they catch a little bit of a, a lucky break. But regardless, they do have that Big 12 tournament they've never won, as you mentioned, and that would be a nice – Uh, feather in Scott Drew's crown or cap uh, that he has not been able to earn just yet and uh, this seems like a team that's that's ripe for being able to do that but uh, certainly with healthy guards and not with a couple of guys missing time which is a possibility as we sit here right now Uh, later on tonight in the Big 12 Texas Tech at Kansas you mentioned that game that'll be a huge one Uh, and Man, what a year it has been uh, in this conference. You really do just kind of have to sit back sometimes and realize how good the basketball is and uh how you know much this can last really. You know, I mean, Oklahoma and Texas are going to depart. There's going to be four new schools coming in. That's going to change it somewhat, although hey, obviously Houston's a number one team in the country, caliber program with Kelvin Sampson, so they'll help ease some of the blow, but man, the basketball is so good uh, around this conference right now. And, and for the past, you know, however many years that you want to consider it, uh, certainly the last couple and what a ride it's been and, and still a lot to go. But I, I'm ready to see how, you know, all these teams fare in the tournament. How many teams get in? Because yeah. like Oklahoma State probably had their flame extinguished last night. uh
2: They're still in the bubble. I know they're on
0: the bubble, but it's like, how many
2: games in a row can you lose? Well, you can only lose so many because the schedule's about to end. So I think everything I've heard, there's six locks. It's Iowa State, TCU, Kansas State, Baylor, Texas, Kansas. That's your six locks. They're going to be in the tournament. And then it just comes down to West Virginia, Oklahoma State, Tech. And those three are all still on the bubble, but you got to think there's probably only going to be one of them that gets in. You, you would think, depending on how things play out in the tournament in these next couple weeks, um, West Virginia is the one that I, I think I think they're going to beat Kansas State the last week of the year and find themselves um, right there in the tournament in my eyes. So that'll be interesting to watch. One thing you mentioned the Big Twelve. Um, I don't love giving a lot of credit to you know Kansas or to other schools in the Big Twelve, but I found this stat rather interesting. Bill Self uh, has won 17 Big 12 championships in 20 years in the Big 12, which is shocking knowing how good the Big 12 as a conference is. Coach K, in 43 years, won 13 ACC titles. Just something about. I've heard that a couple times, I know, from various outlets, but I just find that to be rather interesting, and they have the inside track to winning another one this year.
0: Yeah, it's impressive. Um, They, you know – to I guess Duke's credit, they have North Carolina to contend with year well, in and year Maryland out. Maryland won a championship. Yeah. Like other but schools. But want I don't a want to diminish six. what you said yeah. too much. Although I know that anytime you try to give Bill Self like any type yeah. of credit, yeah. it's automatically raining hell in your mentions because he's a cheater oh, yeah. and everything else. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's a weird dynamic trying to give credit, but also you know. Uh, get the feedback on right. on doing so, but yeah, I mean Kansas has been a juggernaut, and they are still the top dog in the top dog conference right now, and I think that's evident by just the the night in, uh, night out. I keep using that term, but I don't know how else to to explain. Just every single game, truly, you're you're going up against you know a really good team. So been fun to watch, been a grind, and not quite over just yet. But one more to go for the Baylor men, and yes, a slim but still remaining chance to try and grab a Big 12 regular season championship, although Kansas does have their hands on the steering wheel at the moment, and Iowa State coming up uh, to close out the regular season. Uh, Meanwhile, on the women's side of things, it's been a roller coaster of a year, uh, but they are now 19-10, and and after a four-game losing streak, they have now won three straight games, and thankfully they did that because that four-game losing streak, man, things are starting to feel really really sour and down and uh, not so uh, good uh, surrounding, you know, the program, not in like in grave terms by any means, but it's just four game losing streak. They don't, that doesn't happen to Baylor women's basketball ever. I I don't know that I had seen that ever. And so it was just a bit uh, alarming to see them on that skid and start to realize like, Hey, uh, you're not just losing games, but you're losing your Stranglehold on a tournament spot, if you're not careful, uh, the way you close this out. So it was massive for this team to go on the run they did over the last week or so, uh, getting a win against TCU last Wednesday. Uh, so after we recorded, turned around, beat Texas Tech 71-61. to 61. So two wins in a row. Uh, you know, the TCU game was in Fort Worth, won that one by 10, came home, beat Texas Tech, won that one by 10. And then last night, Number 12, Texas, in Austin. Raise your hand if you had the uh, you know, the women, almost the Lady Bears again. So, you know, put, a, put a dollar in the jar. We probably should have done that. We'd have $1,000 by now. But the Baylor women go down you know, 35. And I know I wasn't expecting any you know, big, huge upset. Even though they had won a couple of games, just figured, hey, Texas is borderline top ten. They you know one of the better teams in the conference, along with Oklahoma, and there were the Bears uh, with an impressive win to win their third straight, sixty-three to fifty-four over the Longhorns. So they do jump up and bite Texas at least once this year, and that's a team where, as competitive as Texas has been, you know, with the. The old regime—I mean, that was as automatic as as anything—was beating Texas and and pretty much winning the Big 12 every year. And those things aren't so automatic these auto, automatic these days. But uh, just a massive win for this program, and you could tell it meant a lot to them. Uh, 63-54, so that's now three straight, 19-10, and 10, as I mentioned. And they don't have an outside shot to jump up and win the, the Big 12 regular season championship because of where they're positioned. But they are in the upper, what, third of the conference and should remain there as they just have West Virginia to close things out. Uh, and that comes up this Saturday at the Farrell Center. But uh, your thoughts on the little run that uh,
2: Nikki Collin and company have gone on here as of late. Yeah, I mean, Texas was an 8.5-point favorite, so this is a, a pretty big upset for uh, this Baylor team. They're currently fifth in the Big 12 standings. Really need to beat West Virginia. If they're able to, they can actually tie for third. Um, they're right there with Oklahoma State and Iowa State. Um, West Virginia right behind them trying to find their way up. But, yeah, Baylor played really good. Dariana littlepage Bugs continuing to play great. She had 19 points, 13 rebounds. And then Sarah Andrews, uh, 17.7 rebounds, continues to have an excellent season. The two of them, uh, I guess, They combined for 79 minutes. They played a whole lot of this game and played really, really well. Um, I was impressed. And now uh, currently they're an eight seed. I do think if they're able to win this game against West Virginia, that could push them to the seven line. Um, Might have to win a game in the Big 12 tournament to get up any further than that. But um, things are looking up. They've solidified themselves as a tournament team now. Um, So now it's just all about trying to get the best seed you possibly can to hopefully make a little bit of a... A run and make some noise in March.
0: Yeah, Dariana Littlepage Bugs was the Big 12 Freshman of the Week once again. She's won that seven times this year. And Nikki Collin had a tweet last night that said "freshies," and that's one of the things they've really focused in on is the young players. And Dariana Littlepage Bugs, one of those that has been a bright spot, and you know has carried them at times. And you know that's certainly something if you kind of moan and groan about it's not been you know just the easy kind of cakewalk that it it seemed to be for so many years is um you know it's just different and you know if you're looking towards the present that's a big win last night but looking towards the future it's like hey look at what a player like little page bugs is doing and you look at others on the roster and garrett uh, you've been the one writing about this team all year we've talked about just it depends on the week it's up it's down it's up it's down last week was certainly down when we recorded uh, but things are back up again. And, uh, how do you feel about what you've seen over the last few days?
1: Uh, it's been really impressive. And, uh, Grayson let me know this morning. I probably owed Nikki Collin an apology. Cause when we <laughs> talked about this last week, I said that best finish out the season two and two, maybe oh, yeah. one and three. But, you know, it, it's been really, it's really been really fun to watch them come together. And I think when you look at last night's game in particular, you know, you would you had an opportunity to go down there and play spoiler. You know Texas had everybody in house. They had over ten thousand people there ready to celebrate that celebrate that uh, big t- share of the Big Twelve championship. But. I still have concerns with with the foul troubles. That's that's one thing we see night in and night out. You just go look at last night's game. Bella Fauntleroy picks up her third foul in the second quarter, which brings in you know uh, Kyla Abraham off the bench, and it was really kind of good to watch her progression. She finished the night with six points, but she's still really raw. But that's part of that freshman core that Nikki's talking about there, and then uh, just watching. Watching really Sarah Andrews get into the flow of the game, uh, you could tell she really picked up a rhythm last night. Was finding open and shot, open shots left and right. Their creases, the ball movement was really elite. But I, I, that's one thing that concerns me though. Heading into uh, tournament play, is the fouls. They've got to find a way to be, be more disciplined, you know. And then the win last night. If you look at the the bracketology, they're still an eight seed, but now they've been bumped up to where they're in Columbia, where they would be pairing up and if they win the first round. Against Miami, they would have to face South Carolina. So you've got to find a way to yeah. get off that eight line, man. And hopefully, you could do that in the Big Twelve tournament. If you win a couple of games, get you to a seven or six, and, and kind of set yourself up for a run. But yeah, that, that eight line's not doing them any favors right now.
0: Yeah, certainly, and that's good news and and something to definitely monitor uh, because yeah, that's that's basically rolling into a uh, ball of chainsaws uh, going up against South Carolina. You're not going to make it out of there very. Looking very good, most likely. Nobody is. I mean, going to play in Columbia. I mean, that is a not of a program right now. Baylor can, can uh, attest to what that's like. I mean, they're very similar for so many years. And now Don Staley is kind of the the queen bee of college basketball on the women's side. Um, I know Oriema Could still lay claim as well, but South Carolina is the program right now. So, yeah, the last thing you want to do is go jump up there and have to play them early on. But, yeah, I mean, what is the deal with the foul? I mean, is it just simply a discipline thing? Because I swear, it's like every game, game. Kaylin Bickle's fouling out like every other game, and she's a great player for them. They wouldn't be where they are without her, but it does feel like they are always playing with fire in that regard.
1: It is, and I think some of it's, like, positional. Like, last night there was an instance where Bickle picked up her third foul, and Texas had a – they were coming down on a fast break where she slid over to try to get the the block charge situation where she should just let the basket go. You know, so she gets called for the block there. I think a lot of it's situational and then just not having the depth. Like, if you get in in one or two people in foul trouble, you don't have – you know, the the depth to rely on. So they're drawing inexperienced players out there, and it's just kind of a broken cycle. But right now, I think it's more of a mindset and understanding the position and the play. And you got to be smart when you're picking your fouls up, especially the position they're in. And I I don't know if it's just you're lost in the moment or what, but that's something they've got to figure out and get under control.
0: Yeah, uh, for sure. So that was a a big win last night, big little stretch that they've been on here over the past week. But uh, as – Garrett mentioned, uh, still some things to, to work on and improve and, and certainly some things to try and control as best you can, like avoiding South Carolina for as long as possible. That's yeah. that's always a good idea. But as it stands right now, they are fifth in the Big 12. Granted, they're a game ahead, uh, just one remaining, whereas a bunch of teams still have a couple to go this week since they played on Monday night. But Texas... 13-4, just one game remaining. But with that loss, uh, you mentioned they had a chance to go ahead and celebrate a share of the Big 12 title, uh, but now they have to uh, to make sure they handle business in their final game. And then Oklahoma has a couple of games remaining, but they're right there at 12-4, and four. so they're hoping to crack a share of that that championship, and that's possible thanks to what Baylor did last night. Then you've got Oklahoma State and Iowa State both at 10 and 6, so they each have to play two more this week, and then Baylor at 10 and 7, so fifth, Um, but, you know, obviously we'll see if they can win their last one and what everybody else does. uh, Could maybe climb up there to, to, what, third place, I guess, at best, but, you know, certainly uh, a lot better of a feeling than this time last week because this time last week it was not looking good. So, big-time win. And uh, they do deserve credit for, what, five top 25 wins? Is that what the total's up to now? Yeah, five. Yeah, five top 25 wins. So, that's a pretty good look on the resume
2: for Nikki Collin and company. It is. But, you know, sadly, I think as March comes, I don't know how many of these teams are going to make it past the first weekend. Oh, like, the Big is not 12. very good this year. No, yeah, it's, they're not. It's just not a very good year for this conference uh on the woman's side of things I just I'm concerned that they're going to get to the tournament and just find it really really tough sledding to even just like I said get past the first weekend but we'll see um I you know who knows there's been crazier things if you get the right draw you never know what could happen but I just uh the it just seems like the quality of the teams is down a little bit this year
0: yeah there's I mean you know Baylor carried the torch for so long and you know that's a big torch that went out there you know albeit if you want to consider it briefly, or maybe you still consider it out uh, entirely. Texas is not as good as they've been. Uh, I think when Big Schaefer was hired, the thought was he was going to come in, be toe-to-toe with Mulkey, if anything, maybe be better, at least give her some hell. And they've been pretty good, but they haven't been, like, you know, the dominant force that you kind of expected, especially with Mulkey out of the way. You thought that they just, like, cruise on through, but
2: They're not even a top-10 team this year in – the league's so far down. Yeah, the
0: league's just, I mean, they're not littered with a bunch of, of ranked teams. So, you know, it kind of is, is almost even more disappointing in a way is that you didn't take advantage of the fact that it's a bit of a weaker field. But yeah. it is what it is. Everybody's kind of kind of similar in that vein. Um, but, yeah, still uh, still a few things to be determined, but you definitely want to try and get the best positioning that you can and uh, and avoid, you know, a, a tougher second-round matchup. So we'll see how that, that works out uh, Either in their favor or or not in their favor, but that that was really important to go on the little streak they did, and they could win four straight to close it out. Uh, Going to the Big Twelve tournament strong, that would be pretty big. So we'll see what they do later on this week, but uh, definitely want to give credit to Nikki Collins and company for the big win over Texas last night. Meanwhile, in football, we're still uh, waiting for spring practices to get underway here in. Well, I mean, today's the last day of February. Tomorrow, we'll turn the calendar to March, and March means spring football will be starting in uh, just a you know few weeks' time. Uh, also have, obviously, NFL stuff going on with the Combine getting underway this week. Two Bears will be in attendance with Siaki Ika and also Connor Galvin. Um, last year was obviously a... a Far larger cast. It was a record number of guys there at the combine, and then following that, a record number of draft picks. That will not be the case this year, but it will be uh, fun to see Galvin try and improve his stock. Uh, I think he and and Ika are the only two guys. They're the only two combine invites, so maybe this is a dust statement, but even before they were officially invites, I thought they were really the only two guys you would Bank any money on being drafted. Uh, Ika the only surefire no-brainer, and I think Galvin's to kind of get into that point it as well, there. where he's going to get yeah. drafted uh, pretty much no matter what. But. Um, just don't know exactly where that will fall, whether that's a late day two, maybe an early or late day three. Like, there's a pretty wide-ranging last five rounds, and somewhere in there is where he would fall. Ika looking more like a second-round pick at this point, but nobody's seen him work out. He didn't participate in the Reese's Senior Bowl like he was originally scheduled to, Uh, and so this will be the first time, uh, I guess, in Indianapolis that anybody will have laid eyes on him really since... Uh, at least publicly, since the Texas finale Mm -hmm. uh, because he did not participate in the bowl game either, which, you know, he probably was thankful for after... Or maybe not. Maybe he was ticked off he wasn't there because certainly anything would have helped against Air Force that night, but... Let's uh let's leave that in the past where it belongs. Mm-hmm. So we got that going on. Uh, some NFL stuff to to follow along with, but there's some other stuff going on with football, Grace. And uh, what do you want to hit this week?
2: Yeah. So earlier last week, I reported that Kyan Roberts Day is going to make the move um, to the Jack linebacker position. Of course, he was a freshman running back this year. Started off at running back. Um, When he was recruited, it was kind of tight end or running back, Uh, got on campus, running back was the position that he kind of fit in at, Um, but now he's going to make the move. And this is great because it's one of those situations where you'd rather this move happen sooner rather than later, allow him to transition to the defense side of the ball, which he did play a little bit uh, his sophomore year uh, in high school, played a little bit his junior year as well, but really had to. Handle a lot of offensive responsibilities as his career went forward there in high school. So now he's getting back to the defensive side. And right now he's about six foot three, 255 pounds. And ultimately, I think a lot of people, including myself, felt like if he was open to it, this would be a great move for him and really give him the opportunity to become, you know, a high level NFL prospect and a guy who um, could really become an all conference guy. And I still stand by that, and I believe that. Um, and so, if he can put it all together, I'm very excited about this move, especially when you kind of take into account, you know, the depth chart there. who with it. So, I guess to clarify, Jackie Marshall is going to move to the defensive line, I believe. And there's going to be some mix and matching. He'll probably play, uh, you know, some Jack as well, but mainly he's going to move to uh, the end spot. And so it's going to open up a lot of room. You're pretty much looking at Garmin Randolph, uh, Kyan Roberts Day, Victor Obi, uh, Kyler Jordan, Tony and Yanwu. That, that's the depth chart there. So it's really Garmin Randolph and a bunch of guys who haven't really proven much. And so it'll give Kyan Roberts Day an opportunity, I think, to go in and potentially compete uh, for at least a, a backup role or a part-time role this next season. So great for him. And then the Jackie Marshall move on the flip side of that, That's awesome for their defensive line depth. Uh, You look at Gabe Hall, uh, TJ Franklin, and Jarrell Boykins, and you feel good about that. But then after that, again, a lot of unproven guys. So to have Jackie Marshall in there, who we got to see some great flashes of this past year, uh, I think it makes all the sense in the world. So you're getting a high-level prospect moving to Jack. You're getting a high-level prospect moving to defensive end, and um Again, makes all the sense in the world. Jackie Marshall already 281 pounds, so plenty of weight for that position. It was getting too big for Jack, in my opinion. And then Kyron Roberts Day kind of sliding into a role where his weight is basically perfect for Jack at this time.
0: Yeah, I mean, Jackie Marshall is a big dude when you look out there. He always stood out a little bit more than than most guys, but in a good way. So, yeah, I I could see that transition, especially if he's still got room to grow even further. Yeah. It'd be a pretty athletic dude at that weight, I, mm-hmm. I would think. So that's that's definitely interesting. And then the Kyon Roberts Day move. I mean, something had to give there, right? It was either him probably moving positions or a transfer in the works. Just because at running back, it, it felt like he was just not going to to crack the the lineup in the the meaningful way. I guess, as quickly as people would have
2: liked if he was going to at some point. Well, bringing in Dominic Richardson basically ensured that it's going to be, you would think, Reese and Richardson, and then Quaylen had a nice year. So it's just kind of like there's there's not enough reps there, I I don't think. But when you look at the other side of Jack, it's like there's a lot of openings there uh, for him to come in and be potentially impactful. Uh, And we know the kind of athlete he is, so if he can translate that I mean, his testing numbers are phenomenal, and they're the stuff of a guy that could be an NFL guy down the road.
0: Yeah, I mean, you look at him uh, in spring practice last year, fall camp, working on it running back, and it looked just kind of silly, quite frankly. He was so big. He so much bigger than everybody else. In comparison, it's just like that guy's not a running back. Yeah. I mean, or if he is, it's like Derrick Henry at running back, and that's cool. But he just
2: doesn't fit with the rest of this roster. He was 265 pounds. To put it in perspective, I believe Derrick Henry's like 243. So I mean, he, I mean, he was making Derrick Henry look small. It just looked funny. It yeah. did. I mean, it's like is he really going to play a running back? Okay. I
0: mean, that's awesome, I guess, if he can get out there and do it, but it just it never really came to fruition. So, yeah, yeah.
2: And, and I think in general it would have just taken time for right. him at running back, and the problem is, is his body just naturally has been progressing towards the defensive line and the defensive role because, I mean, I mentioned this on the show with y'all, but when he came in here for an interview before he had enrolled at Baylor, uh, he was telling me he was like 285 pounds, and he was just losing a bunch of weight before. He got here because he didn't want to look, you know, too massive. Got down to 275, but that just tells you how much weight this guy can put on so quickly. And you kind of think about that and you go, man. You know, Jackie Marshall's making this move this year. Maybe in a year from now, Kyle Roberts stays sitting there at 6'3", 280, and he's deciding to make a move to more of a true defensive end spot as well. I guess that's possible too. So just something to keep an eye on. I think it gives them another elite athlete on the defensive side and a guy who I I, I do believe can be a real difference maker for them eventually.
0: Yeah, he was a, you know... Highly thought of guy uh, coming out of high school. Certainly had some good offers. So, Kyan Roberts Day, uh, yeah, we'll see if this is the, the move that makes it all click for him. But, no, he wanted the opportunity to start off, you know, on offense. And, um, you know, uh, this, I think does make a lot more sense for him just moving forward. But you gave him his opportunity. You know, mm-hmm. like, hey, got up there, he played running back. Did he ever really get into the sink at tight end? I'm trying to remember. No, no. It was all right when he got here. But there was a thought that maybe that would be another spot that he would play. That was where he was initially recruited. That's what
2: the thought was. And also, to be clear on this, I know we've mentioned, hey, like, he wanted to play offense, and he did when he got to Baylor. But I will say this is a move that wasn't one of those – you have to do this type moves yeah. this was more of like a come together decision what makes the most sense for your future type and it thing. does make
0: the most sense when you're it out does. there watching yeah, yeah
2: it does um
0: so yeah that that seems like it's a good move all the way around and then yeah we'll see on Jackie Marshall as well a guy who seems to have uh, some playmaking ability, so those are, are definitely noteworthy moves, and, and there will be more, I'm sure, Um, but glad to to get those there. Anything else
2: uh, football-wise, really, to, to touch on? The dead period ends, <clears throat> that's coming up, I believe, uh, today is the 28th, so 28 days in February this year, so tomorrow the dead period yep. ends, and uh, that'll open some things up. I'm not expecting Baylor to have a ton of visitors, they'll have some throughout March, but I really think they're going to wait for spring camp to start so that guys can come and actually watch practice because that's what a lot of recruits want to see, especially since Baylor chose to have their junior day before the dead period, which, again, I felt like was a really smart move of them. So keep tabs on that. I'm sure there will be visitors sprinkled in throughout March, but I do think the bigger dates will be in April and then, of course, the green and gold day. They're going to have a ton of kids on campus for that spring game. So, again, be on the lookout for that.
0: All right, so uh, before we move on to the mailbag to wrap this episode up, do also want to make mention of Baylor softball, who is steadily climbing the rankings now, thirteen and one on the year after. Uh, winning the, uh, Getterman Classic last week, going undefeated in that, uh, um, tournament, that home tournament, including a win over number one, Oklahoma, that briefly knocked them from the, the number one perch. Uh, but they will soon return. Uh, and they're still going to be a juggernaut. I imagine now, like, the the worst part about beating them is now you have to face them again at some point. They're going to be ripe for, for revenge. But that was a huge win for Baylor softball last week. But then they turn around, or I guess, a week and a half ago, but then they turn around and host the Baylor Invitational and proceed to go five and zero in that as well. So now thirteen and one, uh, and they've been on just an absolute tear, Glen um Bears. So uh, your thoughts on uh, a team that's you know found itself in the top twenty five is now moving up. I believe they're up to twenty one. Last I looked, um, I'll double check higher. on that.
2: That's ridiculous. Their one loss is to a really good Arkansas team. Yeah, twenty one. OU. That's That's too low, but I mean, I guess I get it because they were ranked so far below. Like, they're overachieving according to how many people thought they would be this year. But I think, you know, honestly, I know they're hitting well, but in general, this all comes down to pitching for me. The way that they're pitching has been massive for them. Dariana Orm has just been on fire. She's been really pretty much perfect uh, throughout this season, but it's more than just her. Riley Crandall's pitching well, uh, Casey West, Aaliyah Benford. I mean, this staff is just, they're doing some great things, and and I think that's been the biggest change for this uh, Baylor softball team This year, and like we mentioned last week, they hit on their transfers as well, and so they're playing great. They're playing absolutely great. They should be uh, right there uh, to potentially win the Big 12, and I will also say this, though. The Big 12 is pretty loaded uh, when it comes to softball right now. A lot of teams are playing really well. Um, Oklahoma, of course, still only has that one loss uh, at this point, Oklahoma State's thirteen and one. Also, Tech is twelve and five. Texas is eleven two and one. So, a lot of good teams in the Big Twelve, and that's going to mean a lot of competition. But I do think right now Baylor's playing like a top ten team in the country, which is I think a pretty big statement and something that's a huge credit to the team and of course Glenn Moore for getting things kind of back on track in what was what two years where they kind of struggled a little bit.
0: Yeah, and then you know also another no hitter last week following the perfect game. So yeah, pitching has been uh, a tremendous part of, of their success. But, yeah, I mean, th- this was, I don't know, I feel like there was some talk last year, maybe a misremembering of, like, the fact that they thought this year would be set up to be a pretty good year. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did so, yep. Yeah, so it's turning out to, to be that way, most definitely. But, uh, yeah, now 13-1, and up to 21 in the softball rankings, and, uh, you know, nice to be at home for back-to-back weekends. But, Uh, What a start. They're off to a a blistering start, and so we'll see where they take it. But they do have a sensational pitcher. Uh, Now that's a perfect game and no-hitter already this season for uh, Dariana Orme. And uh, that's going to be fun to see how much she can stack up uh, accolade-wise over the remaining rest of the schedules because there's a long way to go. But, yeah, that's fun to see what they're doing, and I just wanted to make mention of that as well. Uh, Let's get into the mailbag now. I think uh, anything we haven't covered will, will maybe be covered in this and if not, you're like, hey, what don't you talk about? We'll send in a question, and you can do that by hitting the link that's up each week in the premium section of sikkim 365com and uh, that's how you can get your question to us. And we'll start off with Scotty B, who says, "Do you think Dale Bonner for men's basketball will play more prior to the Keontae George injury? It's a weird way to phrase yeah. this. Uh, do you think Dale Bonner for men's basketball will play more?" Prior to the Keontae George injury, once Keontae comes back, I was thinking Dale should, because of his defensive presence and the ball movement, seemed better with him
2: in the game. Can you kind of... Yeah, well, he couldn't have been playing any less uh, yeah, than, yeah. than when Keontae was healthy. Um, So, yeah, I do think kind of how... He will play more. He will play more than Prior to the Keontae injury, he was not playing, not playing. at all. Yeah. And
0: I think that's what you're getting at, Scotty. Yeah. Right.
2: So I do think he'll play more. I think that a lot of this is probably going to come down to matchups and how guys are playing. Like, if is playing really well, you're, you're obviously not going to take him out. If Langston's playing well, you're obviously not going to take him out. Um, but I do think there's, I, I think he should be playing over Loner as long as the matchup dictates that, like against Oklahoma State, for instance, they were having trouble rebounding, so Loner had to play some more minutes than he has been recently, but I do think that Bonner has carved out a little bit of a role to come in and play good defense, and if Keontae or Langston are off for a game or not playing well, turning the ball over, kind of being careless with their shot selection, then I think Dale is a guy that I think now they can probably count on more than they thought they could before um, Keontae got hurt. Yeah,
0: I mean, there's been nothing but, I think, inspired confidence from what we've seen here as of, of late that yeah. he can help uh, fill roles where, where needed uh, and when called upon, uh, such as George's injury. And now I think it's just a matter of how healthy can Keontae George get and Langston Love, how healthy is he going to be moving forward. But it's been huge, I think, especially in light of those things, to see Bonner pick up uh, the ball and run with it. So um yeah, it's been a, that's been great. It's been a great development. Uh, I think, in light of some bad news and what could have been terrible news, uh, that's been a bright spot actually. Oso del Rios, Oso's del Rio Brazos. Random one for y'all. If you had to put money on the next Big Twelve school to replace the head football coach. Which would
2: it be and why? Uh, Neil Brown. And a lot of this comes down to the schedule, and a lot of this just comes down to they have not produced wins on the field. And so I think he's the coach that's on the the hottest seat going into this season, and it makes a lot of sense, sadly, because I do think he's a decent coach.
0: Yeah, I think he's a a nice guy and probably a better coach than given credit for, but I mean it is what it is results wise uh, right now in Morgantown and you know last year I never felt like he was ever in super grave danger of losing his job, but I did feel like his seat was getting warm and by the end of the year I don't think that that had uh, really improved all that much. So now uh, you know, you hope that they can get things on track, but this does seem to me like it's probably the final run. You have a new AD that's in there and in place now, so that's just always one of those things where you just kind of put two and two together, and I would imagine this is one of those, like, hey, go out and earn your job and, and you know, save your job by, by going and winning some games, but I think it's going to be... Uh, potentially tough sled. So yeah, I think he's just a no brainer uh, when you're lining up the coaches in the big 12. He is, he is the number one, I think uh, pretty clearly. So yeah, I'd go with him as well. Enable. Uh, what do you see as Baylor's ceiling floor? In the national tournament as a two seed
2: versus a three seed. I honestly, I just, this is just me being super honest here. I think it all comes down to draw. I, I, I'm not really sure that there's a huge difference between the two or three seed. I think it really just comes down to who are the teams that you're having to play, Uh, whether it's, I guess, a six seed for a three seed or a seven seed for a two seed, like who are those matchups and and what do those look like? Um, Because as I look at kind of the six and seven seeds that would be on the bracket, I, I just don't think they're, you know, that crazy. And then at the end of the day, you're going to have to play a two or a three seed um, in order to to make it um, further into the tournament. So, you know, into the I believe that'd be to go to the Elite Eight, right? If you're able to beat a two or a three seed, then you'd have to play the one or the four. So, yeah. So, Um, so I I just, I think that the ceiling is still making a Final Four, which means if you make the Final Four, you can win a national championship. So, that's still the ceiling if you're a two or a three seed. Um, The floor, you know... Uh, the three verse 14 I guess is a little scarier than the two verse 15 but I think either way Baylor will make it through uh, the first round but I still think the floor for this team is losing in the second round
0: yeah I think the ceiling is pretty high but the floor is not far
2: away if you're not careful do you see any difference between the two or the three seat like major outside of what the draw you know looks like without knowing what the bracket looks like it's kind of hard to tell
0: yeah um I, I don't know um I'm sure those more well-versed in tournament and mm-hmm. uh bracketology and things like that could could point out quickly of like how there's a m- massive difference but i i'm not clearly the one to talk to yeah. about that but yeah on the surface note to me it, it all depends on what the rest of that that bracket looks like and who's positioned where without that information it's a little harder to to determine but yeah maybe maybe there's something a little more simpler to it than that but yeah i definitely think that you know sweet sixteen's not just some guarantee as we've seen like that's yeah. that's harder. Said than done. No matter how good this team has been, so uh, certainly one where you feel good about the first round, and then beyond that, it's it's anyone's guess because of of how it, you know the rest of it lines up. Uh, Landon's me, and I don't know, I'm maybe butchering that, but Landon's my Landon's me. Uh, early prediction on better football unit in 2023 offense or defense can either be top 10 to 15.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna go with Dave Veranda's track record here and say the defense will be the better unit next year um and I think for this team to really reach their ceiling I think it does need to be like that I, I mean you'd like them to be very similar um but I do think the defense will be a little bit better I think they can probably get close to to top 15 uh on defense offensively I think the ceiling for me at this very moment is probably like top 25 I would say that's best case uh, defensive head coach,
0: I don't think that always means that your defense will be your stronger unit, but I do think given that both sides are losing a good amount, but especially with the offense having to replace the entire line, and I know some people will point out, well, that's not as big of a deal as some people make it out to be, but I think there's uncertainty at quarterback. I think there's uncertainty at the skill positions. I think there's uncertainty on the offensive line. I think the only thing you feel super great about is – uh, on paper you had a good transfer portal class but really the only thing that you know for sure is you've got a good freshman running back coming back uh, who by the end of the year though was like a, I mean he was just out of gas uh, I mean and the beating that he had taken as a, as a young player had, had really started to add up and you like your full healthy tight end room as far as the young guys go but outside of that you know couple receivers flashed you don't know that much so because of all that uncertainty, I will side with the defense, even though it's got some questions as well and is also replacing some guys. But I'm not going to go top fifteen for either one. I d I don't believe either one is in that position to to be that good just yet. Um so no, I, I don't think that's uh in the cards, but we'll see. That's what they're they're gonna get to work on and, and you know, have been in the weight room all these last few weeks, and we'll soon be out on the field to uh, to try and, and earn something like that distinction, but it's that's not in sight for me. That's yeah, just that's, that's just Yeah, it's just too high of a mark. Very fair. Blantham, uh, four. When out, uh, OU Texas were planning their departure from the Big 12. Did they not plan on having to pay the remaining members to leave? In other words, were they just assuming the conference would collapse without them and there would be no exit fee to have to pay? Compared to the rest of the new Big 12, how do you think Baylor's doing with NIL Thanks. Will. thank you for the questions. Let's start off with the exit fee question. One thing I've I've still wondered uh, along the way, and I've asked Mac Rhodes about this, and I don't think anybody other than Oklahoma and Texas really know for sure. But you know, there's the whole 18th month. 18 month. Uh, uh, I guess you have to inform the conference of your decision, right, within 18 months of your departure. So there's that whole thing that you you have to take care of, but we never really reached that point because far before the 18 months, whenever that was planning on being, like we don't know when Oklahoma and Texas were going to make their grand announcement because they never made the announcement. um, I mean, it was made initially by Brent Zorneman from, I believe it was the Houston Chronicle. And so that's how we all found out when would we have found out? Is my question. If that story never came to pass, if nobody from the A and M side of thing leaks that because they're upset about what's occurring and the fact that they're about to be joined by Oklahoma and Texas in this conference that has been a huge advantage for them, you know, without that, when do we find out about this, and how does that affect the rest of what occurred after that? You know, do they go get the same four teams in expansion? Is the Pac twelve in the position they're in right now? Does the Big Twelve? have four teams and a new TV deal and all that already set up or are we still sitting here or maybe we've just now here recently found out about their departure and then where does that leave the Big 12 conference so that's that's a really interesting question that I'm sure at some point in time like Crystal Conte will write a book or Joe Castiglione or something and we'll figure out how that was supposed to go down originally um but Uh, To answer the question, I think that they probably banked on the conference collapsing to some extent and thought, hey, we'll probably not have to pay as much as as one would expect. But that's just me speculating. I don't know for sure because, again, we're not completely clear on their original intentions when it came to that exit. It was all blown out of the water as soon as that newspaper article came out.
2: Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I I think their hope was they weren't going to have to pay anything. And I obviously, they did. But uh, that didn't end up happening. So, yeah, I I think I'm kind of right there with you on that. And and I think they were planning on just getting out of the conference and being A-OK, not having to pay a cent and go to the SEC and make a ton of money. But uh, the Big 12, uh, I guess, got lucky. But also, at the end of the day, they uh, they made it happen. And the Big 12 continues to make things happen, which uh, has been very encouraging to see. So, if we ever find
0: out the full details, maybe the angry eight or however you refer to them. Maybe they owe a little bit of a debt of gratitude to the A&M side of things for, for popping that when they did and creating uh, the situation where the big 12 was able to find a life raft uh, rather than just being out in the middle of the ocean with no help whatsoever. Like could have been the case if that worked out uh, a different way
2: compared to the rest of the new big 12. How do you think Baylor's doing with NIL? Yeah, I think they're, uh, I'd say probably middle of the pack. I think that there's a few schools that are doing NIL better. Um, I would say though, of the schools in the big, the new Big Twelve, it, it's not a massive advantage for really any of these schools. Like I, I haven't sat here and seen uh, these massive deals for really any of the new um, schools and the schools that are currently in the conference now. It's been a lot of OU in Texas, obviously nil wise. So I, I still think Baylor's going to be just fine competing with the other schools in the Big 12 to an extent, but they're definitely not at the forefront of it in the conference. They're more so kind of in the middle right now. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, always
0: now going to be a concern of sort of where is your NIL situation, and some of it's public and clear, and some of it's not so clear. Um, I do think Oklahoma and Texas leaving should help their status as far as where they rank within the conference, but they're not as out there visibly as like Texas Tech has been. TCU, TCU, obviously as well. You would think Houston riding a hot hand
2: be getting might be starting to get there as well? Yeah, um, possibly. Yeah, I think I think, they, I think what's
0: holding them back probably fully is Holgerson and the belief there. Like, I mean, as far as if you really want to get that thing kick-started and going, I think uh, you really get that humming along when you're winning games too. Yeah. And so that's kind of the question is, like, can you really fully invest in him? You know what I mean? In yeah.
2: this version of the program. But, yeah, I mean, they could certainly – Get the bank accounts fired up. Yeah. And the good news, I will say, on the basketball side of things is that that really hasn't mattered a whole lot because since there's so many, there's just so few high profile athletes, a lot of those guys are just getting NIL deals on their own. And it doesn't really matter what the school's providing for them because it's just like, like I'm getting this much here, why do I need to worry about what school I go to paying me this much? And I think that's been huge, you know, on the Baylor side. Of things they're they're going to be recruiting just fine on the basketball side, but football is a little bit tougher because you got so many guys on the roster, and you got schools like Texas Tech who are paying everyone a certain amount of money, or uh, TCU, and everyone's getting to that point where it's just like everybody's getting this this much money, and here we go. Um, So, yeah, definitely something to think about. Like I said, I I just think there's kind of the middle. but uh, here's the thing. There's really not that many teams in the Big 12. that are really killing it NIL-wise right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's where I think you'll also see a lot of the separation that people are talking about. I mean, when Texas and Oklahoma are in the SEC or UCLA and USC, they're obviously all going to be making far more money, and that's where some of the advantage comes into play. I mean, it is TV slots and things like that, matchups. But, yeah, more money, and that's something that the Big 12 is going to have to figure out how to navigate, and then each institution is going to have to just, you know, get their alumni together and hope they've got some some people with some some money to burn that want to contribute to, you know, NIL funds and things like that. And, I mean, you know, burn so much is just it's, it's a departure from when you were just, hey, I'm contributing to a facility or I'm contributing to this. Now it is, um, for a smaller fan base as well, it's a lot more of an ask. You know, you don't have... 100,000 living alumni like you do at a lot of other places, like A&M, for example, where, you know, it just seems like the money's on a on a printing machine where it's just all the time. So, yeah, um, that's something to monitor for sure. Pop Bear, do you think this year's men's basketball team will make it further in the tournament than next year, i.e. Elite 8 this year, Sweet 16 next year?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's hard to predict, so I got to go with the team that's already established themselves as probably a two-seed, um like, You know, I think next year's team is going to be really good, and I think they can be better than this year's team, but I just think that's hard to predict when we haven't even seen them play, whereas we've gotten to see this year's team, you know, play. I I do think that for this Baylor program, you know, expectation should be competing for a Final Four, which means you shouldn't be losing in the first two rounds very often. I I think that's the expectation now, um, as just this Baylor fan base and the Baylor program in general. So, yeah, I think I'm going to go with this year's team because I already have a two-seed in my back pocket, whereas I don't know what next year's team specifically is going to look like, who's going to return, and uh, how good the other teams are going to play are. Yeah, I think it's a pretty salty roster, so I I don't know that you're going to guarantee
0: to have a roster as good as this one uh, next year, as deep and as talented as they are. I mean, who, who... there's no Keontae George on next year's roster the yeah, way it stands right but, now. And that's just one player. But I mean, there's obviously a lot more to, to the team than just that. Might be better. Okay. Well, fair it, enough.
2: Remember, a lot of this has to do with how your team's constructed, right? And Jacoby's longer, taller, so maybe he's better defensively. Um it, it's you know, you're comparing apples to oranges here, but I do think there's some reasons to believe they could be better. But again, we have to know, in my opinion, we have to know that Jalen Bridges is coming back and that LJ Cryer is coming back. Right. Until you know those two pieces, you're very much guessing. Doc Krau,
0: what will you be looking for once spring ball starts?
2: Yeah, so quickly, I had a, a list here of stuff that I'm looking forward to quarterback battle. Offensive line combinations, defensive back rotation, and then as far as specific players: Sawyer Robertson, Keetron Jackson, Caden Siraki, Jackie Marshall, Kind Roberts Day, Josh White, Corey Gordon, Reggie Bush. Those are just a few of the things that I'm really intrigued by. And if Baylor can really hit on those specific players I mentioned, I think it could mean great things for them uh, going forward into 2023.
0: I'll be looking for some just interesting quotes. You know, uh, just some some interesting. Factoids to chew on, uh, to to tie us over to the summertime. You know, position changes for one, like we mentioned earlier, things like that of of interest. I, those are the types of like news nuggets that that I uh, enjoy, or just you know, interesting quotes, like I said. But you know, some of the names you mentioned would be good to check them out. I mean, this isn't like you know. This isn't like NFL training camp where it's like the season starts right away. This yeah. is like a, a thing that happens, and then they take a long break away from from the public eye. But it will be fun to be out there. And I don't know how many questions they'll answer, but there will be some minor questions at the very least that we will get some answers to, and that's always fun. How would you categorize baseball's
2: performance thus far? Not good, but not surprising. Yeah, uh, pretty, I mean, pretty bad results-wise. Yeah, we mentioned, and I believe this i I thought 30 wins was kind of their best case right you win 30 games that's a pretty solid year for for the roster that they have but i don't know if they're even going to get to that um i mean they got blown out by duke and they're more likely to give up 30 than a given game than to, to win 30 games i mean they gave up over 20 runs twice this weekend and i mean just the problem is they keep having this one inning where they just get slaughtered and it's just Unbelievable. And that happens in baseball thanks snowball, but it's really happened to them a lot. Good news. Thirteen straight games at home, including series against Youngstown State and Mercer. If they're gonna have any hope at getting to that thirty win mark, they're gonna have to make up a lot of ground over the next couple weeks. Yeah. Uh,
0: it's it's not been good, it's not all that surprising. But yeah, I mean, just giving up twenty on a regular basis is that's no bueno. I mean, that that's something that's uh that's gonna be it's going to be a long season if you're doing that on a regular basis, and they're just you know getting kicked off basically here these first few weeks. So that's, that's something to, to monitor and, and to be a little bit concerned about. But, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it, it goes. You've got to be patient with the, the, the rebuild or reconstruction or however you want to refer to the program's current state. If you had to pick one fall sport to win the conference in 23-24, which would it be and why? Um, uh, I'll say football because that's what brings the bucks. Um, you know that would be, I think, if Dave Reddy could go out and win the Big Twelve in football in fall twenty three twenty four would be huge. Is he saying
2: who do you want to win or who do we think will win the conference? If
0: you had to pick one fall sport to, I mean, I don't know. So, yeah. um, I mean, if
2: obviously it'd be football if we're just picking, yeah, which I mean one that's the easy want.
0: answer. Um, but if I who I
2: think, um, gosh, I have no idea at the moment. Volleyball, it's, I mean. I have no idea. Yeah. That's a that's a tough question if it's gonna be like who do we actually think will win. Obviously if you're picking one, it'd be football, but yeah. Uh, I guess I go with volleyball. There's still some momentum there, um, with Coach McGuire and company. The problem there is the fact that Texas is there and Texas is always so good at volleyball. Um yeah, but that, those are the ones that are coming to mind immediately for me. Trying to think of other fall sports. I mean,
0: I have no idea what next year's teams look like in the fall. So,
2: yeah, yeah I mean, football is the easy
0: answer to like what you would want to see because that would be the most impactful. But, yeah, maybe, maybe volleyball, maybe Ryan McGuire and company can get over that Longhorn hump. Mm-hmm. But uh, that will be a, a good side effect, you would think, to the conference changes coming up would be that Texas will no longer sure. be standing in your way, but eventually you'll have to run into him at some point, you know, Probably. if you're if you're that good. But yeah, maybe maybe volleyball. Uh Panther City Bear, do you believe Baylor's better defensively without Keontae George? If so, do you think there may be tournament games where Bonner's on the floor late with George on the bench?
2: Yeah, I do think Baylor's better defensively without Keontae George on the court, but I think they're much better offensively with him on the court. And so it's just kind of varying that difference there. And I'll also say, I do think there's a tournament game where either Langston Love or Dale Bonner is on the floor and Keontae's on the bench, but I I think that would have to be Keontae's not playing well. For that yes. to happen. They're that's, not gonna bench him if he's playing well. You don't bench the lottery pick no. uh, in crunch
0: time in the NCAA tournament. That's that would be a bad look and, it, and an indictment of him, you he'd know. As have a player. to be
2: playing bad. Like he'd right. have to be like two for eight with four turnovers and like four points, and then it's like, okay, maybe we need to put in someone to play defense. Maybe that's possible, but I, I think you know, Dale's played great for what he's needed to, but when you get to tournament time, I still think this team's going to need some big performances from Keontae George.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's why he's here is is for this upcoming time period as much as anything else. So yeah, I, I think he he's going to be on the floor. But they they are certainly better defensively. Yeah, um, with with the change. Do you believe there will be conference shuffling and realignment this summer with Pac-12 or West Coast G5 schools? Which G5 would you want from the Pacific? time zone. I mean, there's been a lot of realignment talk lately. Yeah, I think that if anything's going to happen here pretty soon, it's going to probably be San Diego State and SMU to the Pac-12 as they iron out their ongoing TV negotiations. Outside of that, it's hard to really picture anything substantial uh, going on. So I I would say, yeah, I mean, probably would have to be sometime in these next few months as they work out that TV deal. So I'll say yes on that. Um, And San Diego State would would definitely be one of those West Coast G5 schools you're referring to. Which G5 would you want from the Pacific time zone, though? Uh, I don't really want um, anybody from the G5 Pacific time zone if I'm the Big 12, quite honestly. I'm not really looking to pick up a San Diego State or someone along those lines. I'm big dog hunting or I'm not hunting at all if I'm the Big 12, and and that would mean that some things have to happen, like the Pac-12 would have to start to – dismantle but I don't think that's really in the cards right now so um, yeah I do believe the Pac-12 will expand but beyond that I don't see the other stuff happening.
2: Yeah I, I think uh, the Big 12 is going to pick up Pac-12 schools in the summer. I think, I think that the Pac-12 is going to get a media deal that they don't like and I think that's going to lead to either them doing unequal revenue sharing and if they do that I think that's going to make schools really mad and I think some will decide that they, they need to leave, so I think that's more likely. I agree with you wholeheartedly. They should not take a group of five school, with the exception being Gonzaga, but they're basketball only asterisk yeah I would take them though I I think that would make some sense uh for the big 12 as a basketball conference but no the Boise states the San Diego states those don't really move the needle for me and nor really should they for the big 12 when they're in such a great position to pick off a couple Pac-12 schools and then look at the ACC already now they're on shaky ground with the comments that happened this week so just wait for those two uh conferences to start losing pieces and then take from those because you'll get you'll get you'll get more high-quality programs. This isn't by any means the last round of, of shuffling
0: no. that's going to go on here in the next few years. So, yeah, I think everybody's calculated with their chess moves right now, and we'll see the Pac-12 just trying to, to figure out their end of, of the TV deal. But um, the Big 12 not just setting themselves up for this near term, but I think looking long-term as well. And, yeah, I don't, I don't think you need to go and bloat the roster Uh, Just adding teams to add teams is not going to be beneficial for you, and if anything, dilutes the product. So, yeah, you don't need to add Boise State, all due respect, or San Diego State or anything like that. San Diego State, if you were expanding, like, massively on the West Coast and you were adding Oregon, Washington, you know, that would make more sense. But that's uh, – I'm I'm not ready to think that the Pac-12 is fizzling out just yet. I I think that they find the TV deal and then years down the line maybe – People start to, to get ready to, to jump off the ship, but I'm not ready to go there just yet. Uh, Alpha Needle, Grayson, what do you think about ATO Winnie Baylor Sing this year? Yeah,
2: um, honestly, Unbelievable. So when I was at Baylor, I did the whole thing, sing and float and all that, and um, we were great at air murals. We won air murals multiple times when I was in college, and uh, that was kind of the big thing that I focused on when I was in college, just being the chair for that. But float and sing, we were always like third or just making pig skin and never could get over that that hump and sing, especially we felt like, you know, there were a couple times where we had good ones and just, you know, didn't place it. There's a lot of really good ones at Baylor, but we took it really seriously. And I, I honestly enjoyed it. It was fine. It was fun for, for what it was. And it was one of those traditional things that I liked, but I told my wife that they had won and we both were like, what? Like so cool. And uh, it's the first time ATO's won since I can remember. It might be the first time ever. And she was in Kappa and they've won multiple times. So it was nice to, to get a little, you know, get not, not even payback, but finally see ATO win. Uh, I believe they won with Kayo. So, uh, really cool, really special and really proud of those guys for, uh, for winning that. Very, very cool. Well, thank you, uh, Alpha Needle.
0: Congrats to, uh, to ATO as well. And, uh, we do appreciate everybody for their questions this week. That also included Panther City Bear and Doc Crowl and Papa Bear and, B. Lantham and Landon and Ibel and Osos del Rio Brazos, Scotty B. as well. Thanks to all of you for your questions this week and uh, everybody out there for listening and uh, being a part of the show as we get here to uh, wrap it up time. But as we do that, do you have any parting words or messages for those out there listening?
2: Yeah, just uh, if you're not a premium subscriber, please do so. We have a lot of great content. Our Athlete Plus content is going to start to ramp up a little bit. Uh, I know Paul just had an interview with Clark Barrington, which is on the website right now. So if you're an Athlete Plus subscriber, which obviously contributes to the NIL fund uh, for Baylor athletes, uh, very helpful for the program and also very very helpful for um, the players as well. So be sure to check that out. And Of course, we have all kinds of other features on the website as well well the premium side of things and then be sure to check out 365 sports radio monday through friday three to six for all your college sports coverage
0: yeah i mean all i can uh ask for yeah, is for baylor supporters out there to to be a part of the website sign up for the premium section that's a good way to contribute to a lot of different things really at, at once quite frankly and uh just show your support for what we do but outside of that just hit subscribe and spread the word and um, tell a friend uh, about where we are just in case uh, the word hasn't spread to everybody just yet. Um, yeah. Just keep growing this thing and uh, you're listening and contributing and supporting is um, something that we truly do appreciate uh, Garrett Ross behind the scenes. Appreciate the work uh, you're doing at all times, but uh, with this podcast as well. And again, one final time. Thanks to everybody out there. listening. we'll be back next Tuesday at around uh, right at noon. Kicking off here on the YouTube channel live each Tuesday at noon. Of course, you can check us out on all the various podcast feeds after the fact as well. 365 Sports coming your way this afternoon at 3 o'clock, as Grayson mentioned. Talk to you then. This has been the BearCast on sickem 365com 365 Sports.